Welcome to the Grace Life Church podcast. My name is Parker Smith, lead pastor of Grace Life Church, located in Decatur, Alabama. Our prayer is that the sermon you're about to hear will help you grow in your understanding of God's Word, point you to the person of Jesus Christ, and encourage you to live for the glory of God. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Grace Life Church podcast. Is it working now? Yeah, it's something. I've been having microphone problems for two weeks now. So, anyway, it's hard to work with one hand. Um, if you would, open up your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Jonah, chapter 3. And we've been working our way through this series. It's going to be a relatively short series, just four weeks, really devoting um, one week to each chapter, um, by and large. And um, we've been working through this book now. This is our third week. Uh, last the last couple of weeks, we um, talked about uh, this story of Jonah, about that it's really more about the prophet's life than his words. And the last time we were together, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Jonah's disobedience and Jonah's vain pursuit. Um, and last week, we talked about that God's grace being not only for those inside the church, but also those outside the church as well. And that's good news, not just for the world, but it's also good news for us because we are still very much in need of God's grace. And that's good news in the same sense that God is still pursuing us, even when we disobey Him. And lastly, we saw that God's grace sometimes can come through circumstances that are quite peculiar. Um, we And circumstances that really for Jonah didn't feel like God's grace. That pushed us in to last week a little bit of a heavy discussion about a theology of suffering. And so uh, you feel free to go back and check out our podcast and listen to that sermon or whatnot. Uh, but this morning, we're going to kind of be working our way through again um, this idea of God's grace and really that God is a God of second chances. If I were to summarize the sermon in that way, it would really be the way that I summarize it in my first point um, is that God is a God of second chances. And so we're coming now into chapter 3, and I would ask you that you would stand um, out of the honor and reverence of the reading of God's Word as we read together Jonah chapter 3, uh, looking at verses 1 through 10. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in its breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for the fast and put on sackcloths from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of, the Nineveh, of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloths and satin ashes, and he issued a proclamation and published throughout through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd or flock, taste anything, let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloths, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they had turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord. If you believe it, would you say 
Amen this morning. You may be seated. I want to call your attention this morning to three points. Um, the first of which I want you to see the God of second chances. And I'm sure that we've all heard, and you've probably said it yourself in your own personal life, that hindsight is 2020. And what we mean when we say that is that after we experience something and looking back on a situation that we begin to say, and quite honestly and quite transparently, how we might have done things a little bit differently. Had we had known what was coming on the other side or had we had known the future outcome that we might have planned accordingly differently, that maybe you have those moments of regret that you wish you never had, you wish that you could take back. I wish I didn't say those words. I didn't. I wish I didn't send that email or send that text. I wish I could have that back. I wish I would have never invested my money in this. I wish I would have fill in the blank. So what we mean when we say hindsight is twenty twenty, we would all love to get a second chance. And all too often, and what's more often the reality, is that we find ourselves longing for second chances, but very rarely actually experiencing them. One of the comical things, if you were to ask my family, uh, that one of my favorite buttons on a Nintendo system was the reset button. (laughs) Because at any point in time that I began frustrated about the way things were going, I knew that there was the reset button that I could press and all would be well and I could try again. And that's really what we mean when the idea of saying hindsight is twenty twenty. that if we could, if we had the ability, if we knew how to, all of us would like to at some point or another press the reset button, if you will, on our lives and to try it again. And often that idea of a second chance is really far from a reality, and really it's something that we just wish that we could have. And yet here in this text, it's not just some concept. Jonah actually receives a second chance. To go to Nineveh, instead, the first time he went to Tarshish, and to think about it, we pulled that out even last week that Jonah chapters, or Jonah verse 1 through 3 in chapter 1 really almost parallel like Genesis 1 through 3 and that the story should have just ended, should have been over, and yet here Jonah receives a second chance. God could have wrote him off. He could have said, Jonah, if you don't want to go, I'll find someone else to go. But God chooses still to use Jonah. You note in the text, Jonah 3, verses 1 through 2, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. And what sweet words those are to our ears. They should be. Saying to Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Consider yourself in Jonah's shoes that disobedience had not worked out really well for him. But here Jonah at least it seems in chapter 3, has a change of heart. What's seeming to be taking place in Jonah's life is repentance in chapter 2. It seems that way. And we want to give Jonah, I think, the benefit of the doubt here. But what I'm going to press into this morning is, as I mentioned in the first week, that the book of Jonah is intended to show us an examination of our own heart and in our own life. And I believe that there's some intentionality here in the writing of the book of Jonah of what is going on in the human heart and maybe even showing us a picture of true repentance and also a bad example 
of repentance. You see him repenting in chapter 2. Inside of the belly of the fish, he spit out again. God gives him a second chance. And I think what you see within this text is some of the lessons that Jonah learned and some of the lessons we can practically learn and that will allow us to resonate within our own soul because the reality is is this, is that while we may think that second chances are some far distant reality, spiritually, beloved, that is exactly what Christ has given unto us in forgiving us through His Son and taking upon our sin debt, we have been given second and third chances, fourth chances by the Lord constantly because of His grace by God. And here's a principle that you can write down, and I think Jonah learned this, and I think we could learn it as well, and it would be good for us to do that, that doing life God's way is always best. That doing life God's way, even the first time, would have been better for Jonah. Again, repeating back what I said in in chapter number one, it would have been better for Jonah to go to Nineveh than to flee to Tarshish. And that's why we hit on this idea that God's commandments are not to be a burden for you, but they're to be a help for you. That God really does know what's best. And what is best, what is always best, is doing life God's way rather than your own. And when you do that, you begin to see all of God's plans and amazing things begin to happen when we follow the Lord and we are giving these second chances to remember them and to apply them. And I think what you're going to see this morning, I'm going to try to pull this out a little bit of the idea of repentance. That's what you're, you're pressing up against in chapter 3. But Jonah chapter 2 and chapter 3 are not just about repentance. Really, the entire book of Jonah is about repentance. And I think one of the main things that the book of Jonah is showing us is the difference between genuine repentance and perhaps false repentance. Repentance that really produces change of heart and it comes from a heart that's been transformed and repentance that just really goes through the motions. And the purpose of Jonah is to for us to look into the mirror of Jonah's life and to say, will I be like Jonah? Will I have a different disposition toward the Lord. We talk about repentance often, but I think often we misunderstand what repentance means. In today's society and in today's church, we often talk about repentance as just merely meaning I'm sorry. That I'm sorry and I'll never do that again. And certainly we can keep that up for about a week or two, but more often than not, Those words of mere apology lead us right back into those same things that we promised we would never do again. We apologized for, but we never really repented of them. Repentance is something much more than an apology. It cuts deeper than just our words. Repentance penetrates our hearts. Repentance, beloved, is waging war against your own flesh. The word repent literally means to change one's mind. It's it's that I used to think this way about things, and now, by God's grace, I see things differently. Beloved, our apologies may or may not come with a change of direction, but make no mistake about it, repentance always comes with a change of direction. I once thought and I once lived this way, but now, in repentance, I see things differently. 
and I live this way. And that's what it appears seemingly in chapter 2 that Jonah is doing. He's a good example of repentance in chapter 2 and chapter 3. But I would argue that Jonah becomes a at least a questionable example in chapter 4 when he becomes angry with God because God is showing grace to his enemies. And you see even the strangest of the softness of the parts of the pagans to turn and trust God, but you see Jonah's actions eventually become a little bit questionable. But for now, Jonah seems to be okay in that he's given a second chance, and at least he's thinking differently about how he should live, and he's wrestling with those things, unless we too wrestle and not be like Jonah, and we forget of God's grace and become bitter, perhaps like he did. Point number two, not only is God a God of second chances, but we learn in this text that Jonah learned what mattered to God. It's interesting, in the, throughout the book of Jonah, the city of Nineveh is called great at least four times. It's mentioned that it was great in chapter 1, verse 2. It's mentioned that it was great in chapter 3, verse 2, and also verse 3 of chapter 3. And it's also mentioned again as being a great city in chapter 4 as well. And on all of those occasions, the Hebrew word gadoil is used, and it's used often to indicate significance or size. Quite honestly, as you study the book of Jonah and you study Nineveh at that time, there's a lot of mystery about the city of whether or not the population was exaggerated or whether or not it was the capital city at the time, whether or not it truly was a great city at the time of Jonah as history would indicate. But still, the city was, in fact, relatively large. It's spanning 50 miles, if you will. It's a three-day journey in its breadth, as it tells us in this text, home to about 120,000 people. And the city, by any standards, even today's standards, would be considered a great city. It's a lot of people. It's a vast population. That's a vast space. But yet... The language shifts just ever so slightly in verse 3. It says, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in its breadth. Yes, discussing its size, it would have taken three days for someone to travel the width of it, but the verbiage shifts here ever so slightly to say that the city is not just great, but the city is exceedingly great. Literally in the Hebrew, Irgadol Elohim is the term that's used there. Some, you may even have in your Bible a little subscription indicating you the literal verbiage that's used in this phrase. It was a great city to God. But you could at least say with truthfulness in this text that the city was God-sized, if you will. In the context of Jonah, there was people in this city that had God's attention. There were sinners that had God's attention. The, the pagan had God's attention, so much so that he was willing to send a prophet to go to them to preach a gospel of repentance to them that they may turn to the Lord. And regardless of its physical size, regardless of its population, if you will, the city was great because the city, ultimately, moreover, the people within that city mattered to God. And what you see within the heart of Jonah 
was that the people in that city didn't matter to him. Something something other than the heart of God was driving Jonah, if you will. Ultimately, something was off in Jonah's heart. Maybe he wanted a bigger platform. I don't think that was necessarily the case. Maybe he wanted more influence. I don't know that that was necessarily the case, but there was something off in Jonah's heart that Jonah wanted what he wanted, and what he didn't want was what God wanted, namely the hearts of the Ninevites. And what matters is that Nineveh and the people, the Ninevites, meant something to God, that God sees value in them, that God desires them to to come to Him, even sending a disobedient prophet to care for Him. God's heart, you see in this text, His heart for the sinner and the saint, for the pagan and the prophet. Beloved, here's what I know without a shadow of a doubt. Regardless of some of the nuances of the, the Hebrew that could be disagreed with in that text, here's what it boils down to. Jonah didn't go to Nineveh the first time because it wasn't what Jonah wanted to do. Jonah didn't go, Jonah didn't obey because it wasn't on Jonah's priority list. But don't miss this. The city of Nineveh mattered to God. The people of Nineveh mattered to God but it didn't matter to Jonah. And it took a changing of his heart and a changing of his action to align his heart and disposition towards the things of Christ. In all of your life, beloved, you are going to fight that tension to say, am I going to live for what I want and what I desire, or am I going to give my life to something greater than myself, namely unto Christ? And that the goal of your life is to truly surrender to truly repent the posture that Jonah appears to have in this text and desire now to do what God was calling him to do. Beloved, in following the Lord and following Him and what God is calling you and to minister out of the vocation that we have as, as priests of God, the priesthood of all believers, to, to follow Him and His desires for our life, so often it comes from a counter mindset than we have in the flesh. And we're tempted to view success and we're tempted to view our priorities in the language of a worldly perspective. And we measure success in terms of our own thinking, in terms of our own agenda, in terms of what we wanted. And here is a minor prophet that can sometimes often be overlooked in the scope of Scripture. Yet his ministry was never insignificant. His ministry wasn't minor in that it was insignificant. And what was needed was not Jonah's platform to expand. What was needed for Jonah's heart to align with with the Lord. And ultimately, I believe that's what Jonah's learning here. He has the opportunity to learn what mattered to God. But that's the struggle in our hearts that we begin to create all these, these platforms and barriers of what ministry success looks like. But beloved, mark it down. Success in ministry and success in your life isn't the platform you have. It's the faithfulness and fidelity unto Christ that matters. It's what matters when you look in the Old Testament and see even Jeremiah, who wasn't a popular minister by any means, he was called to sent to minister to a people that hated him. 
that wouldn't listen to him and that he constantly struggled with his own self-esteem that he was called even the weeping prophet. He wasn't always accepted and as was true for all the prophets that speak a word of repentance to people and to harden hearts. Flip back to Isaiah chapter 6 and see even in the call of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, looking at verses 8 through 11, and seeing what is it that the ministry that Isaiah has been called to, as he hears the word of the Lord and he sees this vision from God, he says in verse 8, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then he said, Here am I, send me. Isaiah says, I'll go. I'll be obedient to the call that you have on my life. And he says, go and say to this people. So here's what the message that Isaiah is given to say to these people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the hearts of the people dull. And their ears heavy. And blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. In other words, Isaiah, I'm sending you to a people that will absolutely despise everything that you're going to say to them. I'm going to send to you, I'm going to send you to a people that when you preach, they're not going to hear a word that you say. I'm going to send you to a people that all they they see with fleshly eyes, they can never see their spiritual need. And Isaiah, you're going to preach, and you're going to preach, and you're going to preach, and you're going to preach. But Isaiah, no one's going to listen to you. It's the ministry Isaiah is called to. To which Isaiah, I think, fittingly responds in verse 11. How long? How long, O Lord? How long will I preach and they not listen? How long will I preach and they not see? How long will I preach and they despise me? And he said, until the cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. Beloved, the mark of faithfulness for both Isaiah, for Jeremiah, and for Jonah wouldn't be measured in the success of their platform. It would be measured in the sense of how many people came to faith in their ministry. It wouldn't be measured in tangible results that we could see with our own fleshly eyes. It wouldn't be measured on how many people respond in a way that we wanted them to respond. Beloved, the mark of their success would be built and measured on their obedience. And that's true for Jonah. That before, the measure of his ministry was measured by a people that he didn't even want to go to. But instead, God was calling him, and the measure of his ministry was that of obedience to go and proclaim a message of repentance to them. And you think about how backwards we can often get it and thinking about this mindset of things that matter and how we measure success in the church today. Some call it the ABCs of church that 
if your attendance is not a certain level, then you must be unfaithful. Then unless your budget reaches a certain number, then you must not be successful. And until your church reaches a certain size, then you're an utter failure. And all of these things give us a false sense of success of what truly matters and what God is really after. God is not measuring faithfulness on the accordance of attendance or budget or church size. No, what matters to the Lord is our obedience. What matters to Him is faithfulness to Christ, fidelity to His Word. That is what matters to God. And Jonah's learning what matters to God is not the size of your ministry. It's not It's not about you, Jonah. It's about what God is desiring to do in the world and inviting you to be a part of that, Jonah. And Jonah begins to align his heart and to that end. Just a couple more examples. William Carey, if you know the name, led the way for what is known as the modern missions movement in the 1800s. He was a missionary to India, and he was convinced of God's love for the heathen. And if someone today were to look back on William Carey's ministry, they would be tempted to see it as an utter failure. That he spent seven years in India before he saw a single convert to Christ. This was the same man that said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. And he didn't do that because of notoriety to come to himself. He was devoted to the call of God on his life, the love that God had for the heathen to come to Christ. And in Aram Judson, the father of the American missions movement, he spent five years in Burma before he would see a single convert unto the Lord. This name may ring a bell, Lottie Moon. She spent 20 years in China before she saw a single convert to Christ. And even then, there were very few that responded positively to the gospel. And at the end of Lottie Moon's life, here's what Lottie had to say. (laughs) She said, if I had a thousand lives, I'd give them all to China. And what a contrast to Jonah. That said, I have one life and I want to do what I want to do with it. And Lottie says, if I had a thousand of them to give, I would do it all the same. And I would give my life devoted to what matters to God. And people matter to God. Even those that are far from Him matter to Him. And so often we can begin to justify what we want to do for carnal reasons because it pleases me, because it brings me pleasure, because it brings me a platform of success, all too often we what drives us, what motivates us is what makes me happy. And what Jonah learned is that that's not what it's about. What my life should be about is what the Lord wants. For Jonah, he wanted what he wanted, and Nineveh for so long wasn't on his priority list, but it was on God's. And my prayer for you, beloved, is that you would begin to align your heart and your life to focus your priorities not on the things that you desire, but on the things that God desires for your life. And what is it that God is calling you to? And what is it that you may be potentially ducking it because it's not popular or flashier? It's because it's not what you desire. Here's a principle to write down as I thought about Jonah 
And I thought about this minor prophet, that God using you powerfully doesn't always mean God using you publicly. But it always begins with us aligning our priorities with God's priorities. God using you powerfully doesn't always mean that God will use you publicly. And God using you publicly doesn't always mean that God is using you powerfully. But it always begins with our posture, with us aligning our priorities with God's priorities. That was true for William Carey. That was true for Ananiram Judson. It was true for Lottie Moon. It's true for Jonah. It's true for Isaiah. It's true for Jeremiah. Beloved, the same is true for your life as well. Beloved, what we see in this text is that the heathen matters to God. The sinners matter to God. Those who are far from Him matter to Him. And pressing in on this a little bit more, beloved, think about what the church is called to do even today. We are called to go and make disciples. You build a church on disciple making, and I promise you it's not going to be popular or flashy. It's not going to come with a lot of quick success or fame or popularity, but beloved, that is what we are called to do, to forsake our flesh and to follow Christ, to go and make disciples. And how many of us, as you examine your own heart, your own life, to say that disciple-making, making disciples is the priority of my life, that is the priority of God's heart, is for you to make disciples of all nations. And if you were to examine your own life against that backdrop, to say, is my life reflective of my desire to make disciples? That our time, that our schedule, that our resources holistically point to the mission of God for our life to make disciples. And how I pray that the church will begin to change its focus from a large crowd to big budgets and to place an emphasis instead on the names of individuals, on the names of people that we have discipled in the power of Christ. Beloved, as you examine your own life, what are you doing right now? How are you spending your time in a way that truly matters to the Lord? You can spend your time and you can fill it with a lot of things. But are they things that bring glory to God? They may or they may not be things that matter unto Christ. What are the things, who are the people around you that matter to the Lord? How are you investing in them? How could we as a church even begin to invest in the city of Decatur? We may be tempted to say, well, I don't have time and I can't do that and it'll be hard and those people, they're just not like me and they do things that they, God doesn't approve of. And if we're not careful, we get right to the place where Jonah was before. That our heart becomes cold towards those outside of Christ rather than being compelled to go and share Christ with them. Beloved, you see the heart of God drawing Jonah to go to a disobedient people, even to a pagan land, to preach the gospel of repentance to them. And as you take a step back and you consider the message of Jonah, Jonah really was a picture of who Israel had become. That Israel was intended to be a light to the nations. They were to be a blessing to the nations. They were to be a picture of the heart of God. They were to, to, to be a picture of God's love and His grace. And here is Jonah 
that's called to a mission, yet he rebels from that, and he doesn't want to go to the very people that he was sent to proclaim the message of good news to them. And what God, I believe, is saying through Jonah is he saying to the people of Israel is that Israel, you may have forgotten your vocation to go and to proclaim the message of God to a lost world and to go and engage the nations and to be a light unto the nations. You may have turned inward, Israel, and you're forsaking the assignment that I've given you, the responsibility that I've given to you. But make no mistake about it, God's heart is still for all peoples and all nations. So much so that he is sending a disobedient prophet to go to them to hopefully wake Israel up. To say, my heart is for those people. And you think about it, how it relates to the life of the church of how often we can become consumeristic and can be turned inward into how are we going to be comfortable? How are we going to do okay? But instead, instead of focusing on the message of proclaiming the gospel of Christ to them, beloved, how will people know of Christ unless the church of Christ proclaims the gospel of Christ to them? How will people know the message of Christ to save sinners without those going and proclaiming the gospel of Christ to reconcile sinners to Himself? Beloved, that we must go and go as Jonah was supposed to do and we must be a kingdom of priests proclaiming the good news of Christ and compelling others, pointing them to the person and work of Christ, proclaiming the gospel to them. And one of my greatest burdens of the church today is that we are far too busy making excuses than making disciples. We're far too busy arguing amongst ourselves rather than laboring in the Lord's work. We even become too busy in debating theology and doctrine than we are for praying for the lost. We've become too complacent in just doing good deeds without proclaiming good news to a lost and dying world. Beloved, our task, our job our responsibilities as a kingdom of priests, as the priesthood of the saints of God is to go, make disciples, proclaim the gospel to them. Or we can focus in on ourselves and what we want and what we desire. And if we're not careful, our heart becomes to look like the heart of Jonah before God got his attention. And what matters is that we align our heart, our lives to the things that matters to the Lord and people matter to God. Sharing Christ with them matters to the Lord. Beloved, who are you pursuing right now? How are you spending and devoting your time to the task of making disciples? And how are you leveraging your influence and your life, devoting your life to proclaiming the gospel to those around you? Who are you discipling? Who are you investing in to build them up in the ways of Christ? And point number three, learning that God works beyond our ability. Jonah learned that God works beyond our ability. Even in the midst of this great turnaround, the odds are still not in Jonah's favor. 
to consider the task that God had given to him, to go to a pagan land, to a land content living in wickedness and against the Lord, the person that God would choose to use, God is using a disobedient prophet, the one that disobeyed him before, and yet God is considering to still use him. The task, the person, and the scope of Jonah's call, Jonah was to go a three days journey into the city But watch this. This is so encouraging to me. Jonah only makes it one day. Look at verse three and four. Now Jonah was, or no, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. One commentator said it this way. He says it's as though the prophet who is tired and weary to carry the task that he has been called, this tiny figure of hope, Jonah, fatigued, can go no further. And he drops to his knees and he cries out to the city even though he was far from his destination. And through the difficult circumstances that now he's up against and things didn't seem to fit in the place where God would want him to be, He had a lack of fortune. It was less than a perfect messenger. He really didn't even want to be there. Maybe he's gotten tired. He knew he's supposed to go three days, but he only pulls up and he goes one day's journey and he has an even more daunting task to call the people to repentance. And he does what God calls him to do. And look at verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covering his sackcloth with ashes, and he sat in ashes, and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, no herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and ashes. That is a picture of mourning over their sin. Let them cry out to God mightily unto the Lord. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger that we may not perish. And when God saw what they had did, God saw the posture of their repentance, how they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that He said He would do to them, and He did not do it, despite the obstacles. And despite Jonah only going one day's journey and crying out to the city, God brought transformation. And God worked through Jonah in a powerful way in spite of him. The work that just took place was not the work of Jonah, but the work of God. Beloved, bringing someone from repentance to faith is not a work that you and I do, but is the work of God to change hearts. Here's what it teaches us is that God does our best work, not because of our ability, but because of His ability. Not because of our strength, but because of His strength. God is working in Jonah's weakness. It's not because of his ability, but it's because of God's ability. That's what Paul would say. He says, look, I'm the very least of the saints. I'm unworthy to even be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But it is by God's grace that I am what I am. It's what Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. To me, though I was the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me. I didn't deserve this. This is why Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, 
that I will boast in my weakness, not my strength. God does his best work, not when we're strong, not when we're capable, but when we're weak and we are dependent upon him. Jonah wasn't perfect. And what took place wasn't because of Jonah's might, but it was exactly the opposite. It was because of his weakness. And God would use him in being obedient to the call that he had on his life. Beloved, you and I are not the cause of anything, but we are the vessel. God is not looking to you to be a solution, but he is looking and invited you to be a part of his work in the world. And we look at our lives and we look at the disaster that that's come upon us and we say, I'm just a wreck. I, I can't do anything. There's no way that God could. There's no way that God could use me. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the training. I don't have the degree. I'm not qualified. Beloved, he didn't skip over Jonah. God graciously used even this disobedient prophet and even in his weakness. And beloved, God didn't skip over me and God's not skipping over you either. That we have been invited into God's story to be agents of reconciliation, to be ambassadors for Christ. And it's not through our strength that we do that, but it's through the strength of Christ who works in us even when we are weak. He is strong. And God has invited us into that end. There's another point that I see within this text, and I'll spare you the long version, but I've already hinted at it. But it's that in the midst of Jonah's second chance, Jonah may likely just be going through the motions Then he's being genuine. I think it's very interesting, the placement of this story in the entire book of Jonah. That what you see is Jonah's call in chapter 1 and Jonah's disobedience, pushing into chapter 2 of his seeming repentance, then push into chapter 3, and it almost gives you a, a parallel, if you will, a comparative view, if you will, of the repentance of the Ninevites. And then into chapter 4, you see Jonah being very bitter and frustrated with his lot in life. You've probably heard it all of your life, just some things to consider. Compare Jonah's description of repentance in chapter 2 with the repentance of the Ninevites in chapter 3 who are broken for their sin, who are absolutely distraught for their way of life and turned from their evil ways versus Jonah in chapter 2. It's almost like he's just, just get me out of this fish belly. And then we see Jonah in chapter 4 as he becomes bitter and angry about grace, God's grace that he's given to the outsider. I think Jonah gives us some tinge of some bad example of what repentance looks like. And again, the book of Jonah is intended to be a mirror to say, how will you respond to God's grace? Will you respond in a way that's genuine, in a way that's authentic, in a way that brings transformation? Or will you just merely go through the motions? But lastly, I don't want you to miss the gospel in this text. That in Christ and through his gospel that we too have been given oh so many second chances. 
and how God has invited us through his good news to repent from our sin and to trust Christ. We see what truly matters to God is that sinners matter greatly to God, so much so that Christ would come and he would suffer on our behalf on a criminal's cross and he took upon our offense, our sin, our condemnation before God to reconcile us who did not deserve his grace. God saw us as valuable in his eyes in that sense that he was willing to send his own son for us. Sinners mattered so greatly to him that he was willing to see his son punished and Christ be glorified and God honored through his life, death, and resurrection to reconcile us who didn't deserve it unto Christ. We also see in the gospel that God does his best work through weakness and not through strength. Sending the humble Christ, sending Christ not someone that was looking to be served, but someone that would serve others. He sent his only son in which his deity would be veiled in humility in humanity, that he would put on, if you will, the weakness of human flesh. He would become a servant. He was marked not by his strength, but by his humility. And he would bring about victory through something as peculiar as death. And Christ put on all of those things, humanity, servanthood, humility, death, All of those things are weakness, if you will. And it is through that weakness that Christ would redeem us. And it is through that weakness that the power of God, the strength of God to reconcile sinners would be manifest to all the world that through the brokenness of Christ, we would be reconciled. And through the gospel, we would be redeemed. And it could be that the writer is showing us here in this text our response to that good news, our response to this weakness, our response to that humility to say, what will our heart say unto the Lord when He has given to us grace and redemption? Will we truly posture ourselves that when the message of Christ comes and to repent, will we posture our heart to say, yes, I will repent and follow you? Or will we begin to just go through the motions? Will we just do enough and just mirror our words to give some type of reflection that means nothing? Or will our hearts be truly changed? And we'll talk more about that even next week. But for now, to know that the book of Jonah is to be a mirror in your own life, to ask yourself the tough questions even presented this morning of how will you respond to the grace that God has given you? You, Will you respond in just going through the motions or will you respond in true humility and repentance and aligning your heart unto the Lord? Let's pray together. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grace Life Church podcast. If you would like more information or have questions about Grace Life Church, please email us at gracelifedecatur at gmail.com or find us on Facebook by searching Grace Life Church Decatur. 
And if you live in the Decatur area, we would love for you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Until next time on the Grace Life Church Podcast.